Amen. So the final chapter of the Gospel of John. Um, I've really enjoyed going through this. I've enjoyed studying it. I've enjoyed preaching it. Um, I hope you guys have got something out of it as well and enjoyed it as well. Um, yeah, f for me anyway, it is my favourite gospel. One of the reasons that I, I wanted to go through it. But um, yeah, so so many great truths in it as well. And and you know you can read you can read uh, chapters, books of the Bible over and over again. And it's kind of only when you slow down and break it down that you really see so many things in there that you might not when you read over it. And th that's why we do a Bible study. That's why we're going to continue doing a Bible study. Um, like I said before, that will. Um, with the new building, that is going to move to a midweek. We'll do a Wednesday evening Bible study in. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll do something similar in the on, on a Sunday. I'm not sure yet. We'll, we'll have a little think about that. But um, we're going to continue studying books of the Bible because I really enjoy going through it like that, going through verse by verse like we have been doing. Um, and we're on, like I said, we're on the final chapter of John, John 21. Let's get going, starting in verse 1. Uh, where it reads, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. Um, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for uh, this great gospel. Thank you um, that, that we've been able to meet here and go through it every week now for the last 20-something uh, weeks. And uh, I pray now that you just help me to, to uh, preach this last chapter um, you know, accurately and just fill me with your spirit. Um, Fill me with boldness and help me to just preach what you want me to preach. Help us to all, everyone here to have attentive ears, attentive hearts to your word and um, and just help us to apply it to our lives as well going forward. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Okay, so after these things, he said here in verse 1, and these things being the appearances to the disciples in the previous chapter. So uh, turn back to John chapter 19. And... Mary had seen Jesus at the sepulchre and in John 19 41 it says now in the place where he was crucified um, there was a garden in the garden a new sepulchre wherein was never man yet laid just just making the point here that that the sepulchre is clearly right by where he was crucified okay it, it was which was Golgotha right outside the walls of Jerusalem so it's, it's right next to basically on the outskirts of, of the actual inner city of Jerusalem. And, and John 20 here, uh, if we go forward to John 20 and verse 18, says, so Mary seen him and it says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So for me, they're clearly assembled together in Jerusalem. Yeah? Okay, so clearly the, the sepulchre was right, right, you know, like I said, just outside the walls of Jerusalem there. Then Mary's seen him then come straight to them. They're clearly in Jerusalem. In Luke 24 33 you don't have to turn there but talking of the two disciples who saw him on the road to Emmaus it says and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them okay and that's talking about that same event there so they're in Jerusalem Jesus comes again to them eight days later so John chapter 20 and verse 26 says and after eight days again his disciples were within and Thomas with them then came Jesus the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. So he comes again to the, after eight days, again, his disciples were within. So for me, that's clearly in Jerusalem still. He's already told them, hasn't he, that he's sending them to preach the gospel. In Luke 24, 47, he tells them, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus clearly sent them forth to preach the gospel. He's told them where to start at Jerusalem. So jump forward to John 21, where we've just started, in verse 1, where it says that the disciples are at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, Tiberias, if you're wondering, where's, well, where's Tiberias? It's basically a town on the, on, on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And if you've ever looked at a map uh, of that area, basically it's 60 miles from Jerusalem. So the disciples have gone through Samaria. You've got Jerusalem here. You've got this Samaria. And then you've got Galilee up here. And, and they've basically gone through Samaria to Galilee, 60 miles. And bear in mind, they seem to be walking everywhere. At, you know, an average speed of four miles an hour. You're talking about a 15-hour journey. 
So they've basically gone on a two-day minimum trek all the way up to Galilee, having been told to do what? To preach in Jerusalem. Now, I know, look, Matthew's and Mark's Gospels, you see that, that he originally tells them that he will see them in Galilee. But they then choose to hide out in Jerusalem. So they're told, I'll see you in Galilee. They then hide out in Jerusalem. Then he comes to Jerusalem and says to them, right, you need to start preaching the gospel starting at Jerusalem. So then they leg it up to Galilee. Okay, and, and like I said, it, it's a long journey. It's not that they've just kind of got, and it's just a local, you know, lake or whatever you want to call it, the sea there. Well, no, they've, they've gone off on a two-day minimum trek, if not longer. That's if you're walking all day, every day. And these guys obviously can walk. But look, that, they, they've gone off, haven't they? And, and for me, they're just clearly just disobeying what God's telling them to do. And we're going to see that in a minute as well. And they've legged it to Galilee. And look, and you can apply that to yourself. We're often told many things that God wants us to do, and we don't do them, do we? Okay, and, and a lot of the time we do the opposite, and they seem to be doing the opposite here. But verse 2 there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Now, James and John are the sons of Zebedee. Verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately and that night they caught nothing. So not only are they now 60 miles from where they were told to preach. But they're, they're going back to their old lives, aren't they? So it looks like there, they're back to their old life. They're back to, back to the fishing, where, which they clearly, they were taken from that, weren't they? And they went into full-time ministry for, you know, over three years, and now they're back to fishing, having been told to go and preach the gospel, clearly by Jesus. So what's going on there? Well, they're doing what, sadly, a lot of Christians do can do and everyone here is capable of doing and really they're, they're they're backsliding aren't they they're backsliding they're going back to their old life they're going back to their ways they're dis disobeying god they're just saying no i don't really care what you've commanded me to do they've almost done a done a you know jonah and legged it as far away as they can in the other direction they've gone back to their old life um and, and another thing with that as well who is it who's saying to them i go a fishing peter says unto them, I go a fishing, they say unto him, we also go with thee. Notice Peter's influence. Peter is telling them he's going back to, to the fishing and they go with him. And look, when you backslide, Christian, it's not just you it affects. When you backslide, when you, when you pull away from the things of God, when you decide to go in the opposite direction of what God wants you to do, you're going to probably take people with you. There's going to be other people, if it's not your family, for those of you that have families, it might be other Christians. It might be, it might be when you backslide and you decide that you're, just, you're not doing the things of God anymore, you just quit on church. It might be that other people see that and start to, just start to get that idea as well. Maybe I'm going to stop going to church. And, and that's, that's what we see here. Peter says, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee, because people are easily influenced, aren't they? And the flesh doesn't want to be doing the things of God. The flesh doesn't want to be in church. The flesh doesn't want to be soul. And the flesh doesn't want to be out reading your Bible daily. The flesh doesn't want to pray. All those things we talked about this morning, those main areas, the flesh doesn't want to do those things. And all it takes is a little influence. And, and look, when you're, in, when you're in a church, when you're, when, you're, when you're outspoken as a Christian, when you're, when you're clearly saved and you're telling other people you're saved, you, you, you're going to influence people. Okay? And you've got to make sure that that's a positive influence. Simon Peter here is not a positive influence, is he? Okay, he says, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we go, also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. So it, it wasn't, oh, well, we're not sure. They just go straight away. And it can be quick like that, can't it? Those decisions can be quick and, and the results are quick. And that night they caught nothing. That night they caught nothing. They didn't catch a few. And that's pretty, I don't know. These guys were, were, were experienced fishermen. And... They caught nothing. That's a pretty bad night for me, it sounds like. Night fishing and you don't get any catch at all. They didn't just catch a few. They didn't, oh, well, we didn't have the best catch. We got a few dodgy things and, a, you know, and a couple of bits of plastic and everything else in the net. They caught nothing. And uh, for me, that, that's the result when you backslide, isn't it? Okay, look, it's not, it's not the same. And, and look, even with it, look, before you were saved, all this stuff is meaningless anyway. But... 
But when you're saved, when you're trying to live for God, when, when, to whom much is given, much should be required. Yeah? When, you, when you are being told by God what to do, you know what you're meant to be doing and you choose to go the other way. It's not just it's not going to be that great. It's going to be the opposite. Amen. Yeah, you're going to end up just just in the in the pit somewhere. You're going to end up catching nothing. You're going to end up that old job that you've decided quit on church to go back to is not going to be a success for you. You're not going to go back. Our oh, life's going to be better now. I was going to be back to how I thought it was. And we always trick ourselves. You con yourself that life was better before you were saved, before you were going through the trials and tribulations that you go through as a Christian, but it wasn't. And when you go back to that life, you, it, it, it's not going to get blessed. It's going to be the opposite. And it's going to be a curse. And you're going to go back and, and things aren't going to work out. Things are going to go downhill. You, 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 you know, any of you here that have even, I don't know if, you know, if people have backslidden, again, we're not going to do a raise of hands for that. But people that have maybe not backslidden, but just chosen to willfully going into some sin they've done before. It's not the same. It's never the same. It's not, you don't, it's not, oh, it's that pleasure of sin for season. All, all Satan's apples have worms, don't they? And, and look, it's always going to, it's always going to end in tears, really, in some way or another, isn't it? Okay, backsliding is not the, the, the rosy thing that, that we're led to believe it will be. And here, of course, they, they caught nothing. That night, they caught nothing. Verse four, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Now, even when we run, though, when we hide, when we go back to the old life, and I hope no one do here does, but when it does happen, when Christians do that, and I'm not trying to encourage you because you're still, you're going to catch nothing and it's going to be, and you will get chastisement and your life will, will be ruined. But even so, Jesus is still waiting for us to come back. He's waiting on the shore. He's waiting for you. You've even gone the opposite way. He's still waiting. He still wants you to come back. He still wants you back. He still wants you back serving. Anyone here, however far you might feel you've gone from God, and you might even be from God right now. You might only be here by hanging by a thread coming to church. Jesus will still welcome you back. He will welcome you back. He's still there. He still wants you back. But we don't always recognise him, do we? When, we're, when people are behaving like that, when people are backsliding, when people are out of the will of God, when people are in sin... He, they don't even necessarily believe that he could still be waiting for them. Sometimes you can feel pretty lousy about yourself and you're thinking, is Jesus, would he really, does he really want, you know, I've, I've failed, I'm, I'm good for nothing. But look, Jesus is still waiting for you. He still wants you to come out. He wants you to live for him. He wants you to work for him. He wants you to, to serve him like we talked about this morning. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. And look, here he's, he, you know, he, he, he asks, he knows, but he's asking them. And I think, look, here he's emphasising the failure without him, isn't he? He's emphasising it. Look, did you, you had any success away from me, running the other direction, going back to your old life? And, but even here, often we don't even recognise when he's speaking to us. Because I, I'd imagine there are people that are backslidden and the Lord is, is trying, you know, they're, they're, they're hearing stuff, they're hearing preaching, they're hearing things and they don't even recognise it. And here they're not even recognising it's, it's, he's talking to them. I want to make sure when we're listening to preaching, when we're, when we're reading our Bibles, we want to make sure that, we're, that we are listening. We're not just hard-hearted, closing our ears, not wanting to hear it because it doesn't fit with us. Here they're not, they're, they're not recognising it's him. Verse 6, And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find... They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. And that's the difference when you do things God's way, isn't it? When you do things God's way, that's the multitude of fishes, that, that's the success, that's when things are blessed, that's when things go well. And you might think, well, I wish that God would tell me, you know, exactly where to cast the net. Oh, I wish he would make it as clear as that. But he tells us exactly how, how to do many things in life, doesn't he? Doesn't he tell us clearly? I mean, if we can't listen to how he tells us too many things, what, why do we think we're going to listen when it's even more specific? Because there are many parts of our life where God tells us how to do things, God tells us how to live, and we choose not to, don't we? We, we do the opposite. We choose to do it our way. We want to do it the world's way. We want to do, do it what we consider to be the easier way. And look, there are, there are many, many things, but look, when we do it God's way, they work out, don't they? They work out. For example... I don't know, church, when we do it God's way. Yeah, when you, look, 
when, when we set up a church as we think God wants it done, we preach the Bible, we preach the whole truth. We, we preach through the word of God, we don't skirt things, we don't avoid things, we preach it. When we, when we as a church, we, you know, we, people come to church and serve like we feel like God wants to, the church thrives, doesn't it? And I, for me, I see a church thriving here. I, I reckon a lot of people didn't think this would last a year, right? Eh? I, I, I mean, look, there are people around, around this country that claim to be Baptists, that claim to, to just be waiting for a good church, still haven't even managed to visit the church. Okay, sadly, there are. And I think a lot of those people when this church started thought, no chance, no chance. They're going to be, they're, they're going to be nicked. They're going to be whatever else. It's going to fail. No chance. But, and, and it's not me, everyone here, we're all trying to do things God's way, aren't we? Okay, we do things God's way. And look, we're a year down the line and we're preaching the whole Bible and we're preaching, we're out soul winning through COVID as well. Who thought that would, that would last? Through COVID, through people, you know, thinking that we're, through, through attempts by the authorities and everything else. But look, God's protected us through it all, hasn't he? And when you do it God's way, and we're trying to run a church God's way, because I see all these other churches that aren't, that have still got their doors shut. And they're still doing online with maybe one person now tuning in, and the rest are probably getting on with something else while it's on. And look, again, it's not us, it's just doing things God's way, isn't it? Trying to do it God's way, trying to preach the way we think God wants us to preach, trying to, trying to run a church the way we think God wants us to run it. What about soul winning? When you do it God's way, how many naff churches have we been to where they just post flyers through the door and they just can't work out why no one's getting saved? How many churches have we all been to where they just are trying to invite people in? Oh, if we get them in the church somehow, then they'll get saved. We'll just preach the gospel week in, week out. Something will stick. But no, when you do it God's way, when you go forth to preach the gospel, when you go into all the world and preach the gospel, then, then people get saved, don't they? When we do it God's way, do it God's way. What about, what about child rearing? What about child rearing? When you raise children how God wants you to raise them. And look, you're going to go through hard times. You're going to have hard times. Look, it's not all, all a bed of roses, is it? You'll have struggles and you'll have battles sometimes. you have times where, where you seem like you bang your head against the wall, but you've, you stick to it, you do it God's way. And, and you see kids... <laughs> kids getting raised and we we see it with people we know and hopefully we're all seeing it with our kids kids you know growing up loving the things of god and and kids growing up that aren't going into all the wickedness that the rest of the world is because it is wicked isn't it and seeing our kids not you know getting into all this stuff from a young age is is great and i'm not going to start going through it all right now but look again doing it god's way but what's god's way of child rearing God's way is not the world's way. The world's way is all, you know, psychoanalysis and, you know, how, how the, this child, well, they suffer from this and they suffer from that and, and all the latest jargon and, and, and you know, ways to, 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 to punish without punishing. But what does the Bible say? Spare not the rod. Yeah, the Bible says to chastise. The Bible says also, though, to, to also bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because it's not all just giving them a thrashing, is it? And when you do, when you put it all together, you do it God's way, and you teach them the Word of God, and you, and you talk about the Word of God with them, then hopefully we're seeing children grow up out of this church who are growing up and, into the sorts of children that God wants them to be, yeah? What about, what about marriage as well? When we do things God's way, a marriage should work out, shouldn't it? When we do things God's way. And we'd, again, we can all, can't we? We can all just decide we want to do it our way. We all like to point fingers when it comes to our marriages and, and we can all do that. But what's God's way? And God's way, it just comes down to two, you know, pretty simple instructions which people miss, don't they? Number one, wives submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And look, again, we, we as men can, can jump on this too much, but wives, submit unto your husbands. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Submit. Submit unto your own husband. You married him, submit unto him. But husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. When they go hand in hand, you, there can be some great happy marriages. And, you know, and I see some happy marriages here. And, you know, praise God when you do it his way, there are happy marriages. But, but so often, we like to try and do it our way, don't we? And well, like, if he doesn't do this bit, I'm not doing my bit. Or if she doesn't do that bit, I'm not doing my... Just, Look, men, love your wives. Doesn't matter. Men, love your wives. Yeah, it's simple. Love her. Love her. Give her honour. Love her. Yeah, and, and 
your, your marriage will, you'll be amazed how much it will improve, how happy you'll be. Those of you that aren't married, how happy you'll eventually have a marriage if you just love your wives, no matter what. Yeah, no conditions, but, but wives, submitting to your husbands. Yeah, it's simple. You can't have two bosses. That doesn't work, okay? It doesn't work in any, in any area of life. There has to be a hierarchy. There has to be a final authority. Submit unto your own husbands. Okay, the world's way is nonsense. The world's way ends in divorce. The world's way ends in, in all sorts of problems and issues and adulteries and, and terrible marriages. Just, just do it God's way. And when we do it God's way, things work out, don't they? Things work out. And in the same way, you can say for singles as well, do it God's way. That doesn't mean going and testing a load of men. That means, that means trying to find someone that you think is a godly man. That means men trying to find someone that you think is a godly woman. Okay, and, and that's what, as you kids grow up, that's what you should be looking for. Not the world's way. Not, not the guy who's just so smooth and, oh, but he's just, you know, he looks like a model and he's so cool and his skinny jeans look, look so good on him. That's not, that's not God's way, is it? No, find a man of God. Yeah, and, and men, find a godly lady. Not some sort of, you know, slut lookalike or even worse. That's not what we should be looking for. We should be looking for people that, that look, are going to help us to live a godly life. Okay, and, and when we do it God's way, we do it God's way, things work out, don't they? Things work out. And here, when they did it God's way, when, when Jesus Christ told them where to cast that net, suddenly they've got an abundant catch, haven't they? And things work out. But it's not necessarily easy, is it? So doing it God's way doesn't mean, well, it's easy. I talked about this this morning, didn't I? It's not, oh, well, everything easy is, it equals happiness. No, it's not always easy. But you know what? When you do it God's way, sometimes it can be, it can be a hard hard road of it sometimes you've got to go through some battles some challenges sometimes you've got to dig deep at times but it always works out and here it wasn't easy verse 8 says here they were dragging the net with fishes weren't they and and i'm sure those 153 fishes were probably quite heavy dragging them to shore but look god's blessed them it's an abundant catch and they're happier for doing it god's way god's way is the only way Okay, you're Christians. God's way is the only way. Yeah, you might see some people in the world that seem to be okay. They seem to be happy. They seem to be all right. But they're going to be burning in hell for eternity. They're going to be burning in hell for eternity unless they get saved. You're saved. You're saved, but that doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. But hey, you're going to have an easy eternity, though. You have an easy eternity. Work while you're here. Do it God's way and you'll be blessed as well in this life. Verse 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now when, Je sorry, now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fish's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Okay, let's get onto that in a second. But obviously John here, John, remember we've talked about this throughout this gospel, he had that close relationship, didn't he? And even at this point, it's him who recognises Jesus first, isn't it? John, who was the closest one to Jesus Christ, he recognises him first. He's the one who says, it is the Lord. But what is Simon Peter playing at here? What is he playing at? And, you know, I was looking at this, and I was thinking a few kind of possible explanations. Maybe he's traumatised by the events of the past few weeks. He's kind of tipped him over the edge. And, look, you know, it's been some, some pretty traumatic events. And, obviously, he's in the middle of backs backslide you call it here wouldn't you maybe he's, maybe he's having a wash after a night of working I'm trying to look on a positive here he's just in the middle of washing when Jesus turned up and I don't know maybe he's just a bit of a weird exhibitionist type yeah I mean maybe he is he did say to Jesus didn't he and Luke like depart from me I'm a sinful man maybe this is what he's talking about he just loves getting his kit off and and just on that look just a reminder okay Look, everyone here is sinful to some degree. And I hope we haven't got any exhibitionists here who, who would, you know, go on a naked fishing trip. But just because someone does some weird stuff that you don't do, it doesn't mean they're a reprobate, okay? And look, look, the flesh is sinful and we can all do some, some funny sins. I'm sure everyone's capable of some bad sins. Here. Everyone's capable of bad sins. It doesn't mean that they're some sort of wicked reprobate or wicked pervert. And I, don't, I hope he's not... But like I said, maybe, maybe it is some weird stuff he's done there. But look, there are obvious, clear signs of reprobation and doing weird and having like, you know, doing weird stuff and having some weird kind of, you know, battles with the flesh doesn't mean that you're some sort of vile reprobate, okay? And remember as well, when you start suggesting or thinking people are, that's a, that's a big deal, 
Okay, that's a big deal. You start thinking that as someone. And here, obviously, he's not. This is Simon Beatty. He's obviously not a reprobate, as we know. And Simon Beatty did. He was on a naked fishing trip. Okay, and that is weird. Okay, that is weird. But he knows it's wrong, doesn't he? He does know it's wrong, because as soon as he says it's the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him. Okay, so he does cover himself up. And look, isn't God always watching, though? So whether or not Jesus Christ is on the seashore there, God's always watching us, isn't he? So whatever sin it is that you think that, well, maybe, well, as long as I don't do it at church, as long as I don't act like that around other Christians, God's watching you. God's watching you every minute. And look, it doesn't matter. You're, whatever you're doing, whatever your, you know, the sins that you battle with are, look, bear that in mind, that God is watching you every minute of every day, okay? His eyes are everywhere, beholding evil and the good. And look, it's not just at church, because obviously we have our church persona, and then there are those, sadly, that will go away and be someone completely the opposite. And, and I hope we're not like that. And just remember, it's God that it's important, isn't it? It's not just who, who you're in front of here. It's not just only God that's watching when you're in church. It's watching every, the whole time. And here, he obviously, he, he says that it's the Lord. He girt his fish's coat unto him, and did cast himself into the sea. And that's why, for me, I want to go with that. I think he's just gone a bit mad here. Okay, he's gone a bit crazy. He's, he's had a bad time of it. He's denied Jesus Christ three times. He wept bitterly, didn't he? he? He's obviously had a hard time of it. He's been told twice to go out soul winning and, and he's instead just decided to go off on a 60-mile trek and then encourage everyone to go back to his old life. And I think he's having a pretty hard time of it. He might even be cracking up a bit. And again, that doesn't mean because he's, he's having a bad time, he's going a bit, a bit mad. It doesn't mean that, that he's possessed. Because we love to go with that, don't we? Oh, well, they must be possessed by... It doesn't mean that, does it? Okay, look, the mind, look, you can have some hard times with your mind, can't you? Okay, it doesn't mean that he's unsaved, does it? Okay, this guy's naked, then he's casting himself into the sea where he could easily have just gone back in the boat like everyone else. He's obviously going through some stuff right now, but he's still saved, isn't he? He's still a man of God. He is, isn't he? But I think he's gone. I think he's having a bad time here. He's having a bad moment. He throws himself into the sea. Verse eight. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. So notice how he's already got some fish there anyway. He's cooking for them. Jesus is cooking for them. The fish are already there. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew, to, drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And now this is where we count the blessings of Jesus. Anyone seen this stuff? Or, or the cubic roots of the individual numbers of 153. I had a quick Google on this, see what, what, what's out there, and wow. I mean, they've got every other way of getting to 153. It's actually, it's how many blessings Jesus actually did. And then they're kind of adding in a couple, well, if you add in this little bit, which is a kind of blessing. And the, you, know, and everyone, you know, you ever watch any of this kind of, seen anyone trying to decipher number codes in the Bible before? It's always really dodgy, isn't it? And, and it generally is just people making stuff up and trying to find something. If you, I remember an, an old, um, I was talking about some sort of number thing once with, a, with an old pastor. And look, thinking back now, I, he kind of said something. He just said to me, look, if you play around with numbers enough, yeah, you can always find some key and some code to them. Yeah? And, and Look, I'm a bit leery of that. And he, he had a fair point, to be honest. He didn't have a good point about most other things, but he did have a good point about that. And look, with this, I, I don't know. Maybe there, is a, maybe there is a reason for that, and we'll find out in heaven why it was 153. But do you know what I do know what it is? That it's just another precise detail, isn't it? It's another precise detail in the Gospels, a precise detail which John has recorded here. And... and Look, being, being a fisherman, or maybe Simon Peter counted them, they're probably likely to want to count what they've got, aren't they? And, and it's a precise detail that there were that many fish and the net didn't break. And it says here, full of great fishes. So there, there's some big fish in there and, and the net still didn't break. And look, as well as comparing fishing or doing things with, or, with and without Jesus, which you can from this passage, there is obvi the obvious picture of soul winning too, isn't there? Okay, and fishing is obviously a picture of soul winning. Turn to Luke chapter 5. 
In Matthew 4.19, Jesus speaking, and he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So that's that comparison with fishing and soul winning. And in Luke 5 and verse 1, we see a really similar story here. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, and they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they brought their ships land, they forsook all and followed him. So there's that comparison, obviously, between fishing and soul winning. And obviously, again, about having to do it his way, yeah? Doing it his way and the success coming from doing it his way, he tells them where to cast it. But also here, notice that Jesus is, is basically calling them into full-time ministry there, isn't he? He says, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. So from now forward, you're catching men. And I would say, really, not fish. And what they're doing, they're back fishing. They're back fishing. And, and it's an interesting story because then in... John, you know, when you compare this, there's a lot of similarities there. It's almost like he's reminding them, isn't he? He's kind of like the same things happen where he then tells them what to do. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Going back and trying to do things your way. Do things my way. And, and I think, you know, he's probably reminding them of what happened here. We're in John 21, verse 11. What, what we saw, it said, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes and 150 and three and for all there were so many yet was not the net broken and I, I think he's just comparing that he's showing them that reminding them where they started verse 12 Jesus said unto them come and dine and none of the disciples durst ask him who art thou knowing that it was the Lord oh look like I said if you're saved however far you've drifted the invite is always there isn't it the invite's there he wants you back he wants you he wants you back serving him he wants you back involved with him. He wants you back dining with him. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. I bet that fish was cooked perfectly, wasn't it? What do you reckon? I reckon that was probably just right. Nothing worse than when it's like dry old fish, isn't it? But I think that was cooked spot on. Yeah, Jesus has got to be the best chef out there, isn't he, as well? And that's nice that Jesus is cooking for them, eh? And um, okay. Verse 14, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So the first two being behind the closed doors in the previous chapter then. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. And look, this is a great dialogue here. A few points I want to make from this. Um, Simon Peter goes on to lead or pastor, doesn't he? Okay, you don't have to turn in 1 Peter 5, 1. Peter says, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So elder is used interchangeably with bishop. He's what we would call a pastor, okay? He's asked in verse 15 if he loves Jesus more than his disciples, isn't he? He said, uh, Simon, son of John, lovers sound me more than these, okay? That's the only time he words it like that, more than these. And Jesus has commanded them all not long before to love each other, hasn't he? Okay, so why is this important? Why, what's the point he's making here? Because if he's going to lead, he has to put Jesus first, doesn't he? If, if you're going to lead men, if you're going to, you know, go on a pastor, to, to, if you're going to lead a family, 
You're going to do anything like that, you have to put Jesus first. Because he's saying, do you love me more than these? And then he says, feed my lambs, doesn't he? Because it, it's, not a it's not a popularity contest, is it? Because if, you're, if, you, if you go on, and especially, you know, you people, and you, and you see this around all these, you know, these liberal churches everywhere, these guys, they're just trying to buddy up with everyone. They just want to be popular. They just want to preach stuff that's going to make people feel happy and come up and give them hugs after the service because they've just, like, reminded them what a great person they are because they're a Christian or just told them how they're going to be so happy this next week and everything else. Again, that, that's not loving Jesus. more. That's loving them more than Jesus, isn't it? That's loving the praise of men. That's wanting the praise of men. That's wanting that popularity more than Jesus Christ. And if you're going to go on and, and feed his lambs, you, you have to put Jesus Christ first, don't you? Okay, that's what I believe there. Now, notice how after this statement, it's the only time he says, feed my lambs instead of sheep, isn't it? So he says, feed my lambs. And the, the lambs are the young. And, and look, you, you could apply that to both kids and you Christians. Okay, the, the Bible will call them, you know, babes in Christ and new Christians being fed the spiritual milk of the word. And look, just on that, there's, there's no shame in that, is there? Because look, we're, we're going to have a, a big variety of people coming to this church. We don't look down on someone who's newly saved. We don't look if you're a new Christian. Amen to that. Great. And a lot of the time that could be easier because sometimes it's hard to come out of, of if, you, if you've been saved a long time, but you've been just amongst bad teaching and bad teaching and bad teaching, that could be hard to, to reset, can't it? To, to rewind and, and, and to erase all that junk. And look, if you're newly saved, great. You know, great, because you've you got a chance, you're in a church now preaching the Word of God. Preaching the Word of God and not, and not preaching a load of false doctrine and everything else. And, and you've you got a chance to live for God. And look, we... We want new Christians. There's nothing wrong with being a new Christian because people can be put off, think, oh, well, I don't really want to come here because there's all these people. They go soul winning. Look, new Christians could go soul winning, okay? New Christians could go and, and be a silent partner. Look, everyone's at different stages. A good church will have people at every stage and we're going to continue, hopefully, to have that and people at every stage. Nothing embarrassing about being newly saved. And look, but when you're newly saved or, again, when you're a child as well who you know, by definition then is newly saved as well a lot of the time or, or, or at least younger in Christian years. It says here, if, he, he, he says, uh, sorry, uh, verse 15, aren't we? He says, Lovest thou me more than these, saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee, saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Because if, if Simon Peter loves Jesus more than his fellow disciples, he, he, uh, you could say he could also need to feed new Christians and feed those lambs, and feed those children, and, and obviously, you know, that means preaching spiritual milk as well, because if you're just wanting, if you're as a preacher, and this can, you can, you can put this across to men's preaching nights as well, and, and not just if you're the person behind the pulpit week in, week out, is that, look, you don't want to be standing there thinking, right, how can I get a really complicated new, you know, some new angle that they haven't seen, and, 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 and give something, look, Look, then you're, you're really, it's more that you're caring about your peers or you're caring about being, being lift up by, by those people and you're not loving Jesus Christ more because he's saying, feed my lambs. Okay, and you're, when you're behind a pulpit, you've got to understand that really that those, those, new, you know, those babes in Christ, those kids here, everyone needs feeding with the word of God. And if you're just trying to go to like really complicated subject matters, then a lot of the time you're not feeding the, the, the spiritual babes here. And everyone here needs a reminder of that stuff anyway, don't they? But it's easy, you could easily start to pull that way, think, well, I've got to really go, I've got to find a new angle here, preach them something new. But I, I think you're not loving, loving the Lord then more than these, because really you're wanting that adoration, you're wanting them to lift you up, you're wanting them to go, oh, wow, that was just, what a great new truth you discovered. Okay, and that, like I said, that could be in a 10-minute men's preaching that can be you know myself an hour behind the pulpit here and anyone else that preaches in the future here as well we've got to make sure that that we're not being we're not, we're not when we're thinking about what to write and praying on what to preach thinking about well how can I impress my fellow man because then really we're not loving the Lord more than these yeah um that's why that's what I'd get from that myself um and, and because I can it can be a temptation can't they of trying to impress just preaching spiritual meat all the time we we don't want to do that now all three verses seem to be making the point that to feed his sheep or his lambs here, it, he, he has to love the Lord, doesn't he? 
Okay, he has to love the Lord. Because, again, it's so important, isn't it? It's so important for people when they're, when they're leading, when they're pastoring. And, and again, we've just seen failed churches all over this nation. And, and there, there were saved people. We, we went out, um, myself and brother Gary were out just up the road here on the other side of Sainsbury's, in a little close there. And two elderly people were saved. And that's like two elderly people within a stone's throw of each other's house were saved. And look, one was a little bit sketchy at the beginning, but she, I, I mean, I would go away and say they were both saved, Brother Gary. Yeah, like we both came away going, yeah, they were both saved. You know, sometimes people don't give you the exact same reply as you would yourself, but once you start digging deeper, they're like, no, I believe it's belief alone. No, I can't lose it. And look, two saved people, two, two saved people in, in South End, I mean, you know, in a place that I don't think I, because I remember you saying, oh, I think I'm not there before. I don't think I did that side of the road. It was on the right-hand side, this little kind of cul-de-sac of kind of these little, kind of, I think they were flats or little small houses there. And um, yeah, that you know, these, these people were saved and um, I'm trying to remember why I was going to say that. <laughs> but I think my point was, is that, look, you know, that could be surprising for us sometimes, can't it? And it could be surprising, and they're in pretty bad churches and pretty wicked churches, and these people were saved. I think my point was is that this country has had, I believe, more saved people, and there, there were churches, there were Baptist churches that had the gospel right. And it's not, oh, well, there's just been nothing since until the NIFB. No, look, the, the old IFB had some great churches before. Yeah, they might have been off on some stuff that, we, that, that we're right on now, but... Look, they had some great, there have been some great churches over the years. There's always been great churches over the years and there's been great leaders and there have been great soul winners and there's, there's been all of that and this country's had that. And there are still elderly people in this country that are saved whose spirits are probably vexed in whatever church they're left in, sadly. But there, there has been that here. And look, how's it got to this point, to this state of play where there doesn't seem to be another church out soul winning in the whole of the country? And again, it's because the leaders there, the pastors haven't fed their sheep, have they? Okay, they haven't, they haven't loved God. They haven't loved the Lord more than, than the people in there. They've got weak. They've got soft. They've cared too much about what people think. They've cared too much about the reaction to how they preach. They haven't tested them. They haven't preached the hard, the difficult stuff. They haven't challenged them to go out and live for God and go and preach the gospel. They've got lazy. They've got slack. They've got weak. They've got soft, haven't they? And that's what's happened in this nation. But here he's saying, look, if you love me, he's saying, if you love me, feed my sheep. And if those men of God really loved, uh, and I use the word men of God loosely there, but if they are men of God, they should love the Lord their God. If they put, put Jesus above everyone else, then they're going to do things his way, aren't they? Okay, no matter of what the reaction is. Not loving the fame, the praise of men or whatever it is, whatever it is these people seem to love. And another point here is that, Obviously, Peter denied Jesus three times, didn't he? Peter denies Jesus three times. Now he's being asked to confirm his love for him three times. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think he's giving, that, that, he's giving him that chance there as well. And again, he's giving that chance to, to, to set the record straight. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, look, we all get things wrong. And some people here might deny the Lord. And, and I'm not encouraging that. But look, we, we've all made mistakes. We'll continue to make mistakes. We'll continue to get things wrong. We'll continue to have bad times in our life. Times when we're not living for God. We should be living for God. Yes, we should. We, we must. We're, we're commanded to serve him. But we'll all get things wrong, won't we? Okay, we will get things wrong. We'll have bad times. But you know what? He does give us that chance to make, make, make amends with that, doesn't he? And, and just in case you're wondering, that's got nothing to do with heaven. Nothing to do with heaven because we're saved by grace through faith. Okay, you're saved the second you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But, but to be able to, to be back in the will of God, to be able to be back close to God, to be able to have that relationship with God after salvation, Jesus wants us back there. Jesus gives you that chance. And here he, he has, he says it three times. He confirms his love for him three times. And, and followed by Peter stating that Jesus knows all things, doesn't he? He says that... Um, he says in verse 17, he says, he says, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. And, and like I said, Jesus told him that he would deny him three times as well, didn't he? I mean, Peter, I don't think he's in any doubt there, is he? Because then he thinks on those words and he wept bitterly, didn't he? Jesus knows all things. He told him he was going to deny him. He did deny him. Now he's giving him that chance and he's, and he's saying, Look, I, you know all things, you know all things. But he also knows that he loves him. 
And we can do, we can get things wrong. It doesn't mean you don't love the Lord. John, John 13, 38 says, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Jesus knew, didn't he? Jesus knows all things. And look, that means that he knows when we're sincere too, doesn't he? He knows when we're sincere. He knows when we really want to serve him. He knows when we really want to do things for him. He knows when, when, it's, just, when it's just to to impress others when it's just to look the part he knows that he knows when it's just to well because that's what someone wants me to say it'll make me sound all right or you'll think I'm a, I'm a better Christian than I am but he knows where your heart is he knows if you really really want to follow him verse 18 verily verily I say unto thee when thou was young thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest but when thou shalt be old thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. And look, you may have heard story. You heard those stories that Peter was crucified upside down. Yeah, a few people have heard that. The Bible doesn't say, and neither do these verses for me either. What verse 18 does say clearly is that when he was young, he relied on himself and did as he pleased. Okay, that's what that verse does say. And and how many people could probably say the same here? And how, sadly, you know, for youngsters, they can be a lot more like that as well, whether they're saved or not, but especially those that, that were unsaved. Um, but when he's old, it will be the opposite. And look, although here he's, he's talking about his death, he does say that, it's spaky signifying by what death he should glorify God. But still, notice the contrast between the young self-reliant Peter and the old Peter who glorifies God and, and by ultimately relying on God really I mean it says here that, that he, when he shall be old he shall stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not and look, maybe he was crucified that was kind of fit there but I, I don't know but what I do know is that he's highlighting there the difference between when he was young and when he was old and we want a difference don't we you want to strive to be dead don't just sit here, well, I, that's just the way I am. I, I'm just that person, that's just my sin, that's just, that's the way I was made or anything. Look, you can change. Everyone here can change. Everyone else, everyone here can improve. Everyone here can become better people, can be, become better Christians, can be, become better sons of God. We, we all have the ability to do that. It's whether or not you want to. Do you want to? Do you want to strive? Do you want to work hard? Do you want to make that difference? Or do you just want to go, well, I'm just, I'm just like that. That's the way I am. And, then it goes on, verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned in his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And it seems like a bit of envy or competitiveness here from Peter, doesn't it? That's what it comes across as here. Maybe it is, uh, maybe it isn't, but either way, Jesus makes it clear that Peter needs to just focus on following him, doesn't he? He's, he's saying, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Okay, and look, most Christians could probably do with spending more time on serving God and less time on focusing what others are doing. I think we could all probably learn from that, couldn't we? Because it, it is easy as a Christian to just start looking at other people and criticising and feeling maybe better about yourself or feeling worse about yourself or whatever else. And, but it's not a comparison. There is, you know, look, the Bible gives us plenty of people that we can compare to in the Bible. And ultimately, the number one, the person we should be comparing to most is Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's a benchmark. That's how we should be striving to live like. So why do we spend so long looking at other Christians and trying to, trying to compare with them and see whether they're getting this or blessed with that? Or, well, it's OK for them. Or how come they get to do it? Look, it, it's just envy, isn't it? Envy can, can get out of control and that can be wicked. And, or it can be the other way where you're just getting self-righteous and you're thinking that you're better than other people. But look, we shouldn't compare ourselves with others. We should just be focusing on what we're doing, focus on our own walk with God, focus on living for God. Verse 23, Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Jesus said not unto him he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And there's a good example of... of what you call Chinese whispers, isn't it? There, um, taking something Jesus said and creating a doctrine of it. Remember we used to, anyone used to play that game when they were young, where you'd whisper someone into something into someone's ear, and then in a group, and it whisper around. When it came back, it was just the complete opposite to what you said in the beginning. And there was always that dodgy friend that would change it to something really dodgy. So they'll just would just have fun completely changing it. But 
Yeah, it was quite a fun game when you were bored, wasn't it? And, and here, it's kind of like the same thing, isn't it? Because, he, again, it's like, he says here, then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. But he didn't say that, did he? He just said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And look, taking something Jesus said and creating a doctrine of it. And how often do we see that? Eh? So taking it, skewering it a little bit, take it out of context, changing it, adding a word, taking away a word, completely changing it with a false Bible version, if you like. And cults have been doing this with scripture ever since, haven't they? Cults have been constantly doing this with scripture. But here it's the brethren. It's not the cult, is it? Here it's the brethren. Because then went that saying abroad among the brethren. And, and I was thinking about just off the top of my head, you know, some examples of this. Got... Matthew 24, 36, I think you of, where it says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Talk about Jesus Christ's return. And, you know, they, they will look at that as a rapture, you know, that point, sort of, that, that half a return. And, and then they'll look at that. Of that day and hour knoweth no man. Oh, see, he could come back at any time. But it said the day or the hour. Okay, it didn't say no one's got any idea what period of time or anything else. It's just that exact day and hour. Oh, well, that's it. There, see, you, there you go. Jesus Christ could come, could come, he could come this minute. And what a load of not. And again, just just completely skewed, isn't it? And you you taking a verse and and that's the one a lot of the time they'll come back to, won't they? And say, look, ah, oh, see, oh, well, what about you know that no man knoweth the you know of that day and hour knoweth no man. Well. Sure, they don't know the day and the hour, but we do know that it's after the tribulation of those days. It's before the wrath, okay? But we don't know the day and the hour. And, and look, there are many, many places. And, and it's funny that they say that, don't they? I always love, love that one in Matthew 24, even though a few verses earlier in verse 29, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give a light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then they'll say, oh yeah, well that's, that's talking to the Jews, you know, <laughs> just, oh man, it's just frustrating, isn't it? But again, it's just taking a verse, taking something Jesus said and, and then just creating your own doctrine out of it. And we see that obviously with the judge not one, don't we? Judge not that ye be not judged. Matthew 7, 1 and Q millions of Christians going around or so-called Christians saying you can't judge. And a lot of real Christians will say that. You know, judge not, judge not, because Jesus said judge not. But they, they kind of miss a bit after. Matthew 7, 5, where he says, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Because obviously we are commanded to judge, aren't we? It's just not hypocritical judgment. Yeah, how on earth could you get through a day of life without judging things? You have to judge everything in life, don't you? It's all about judge. <laughs> judge. Look, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Matthew, uh, sorry, John 7, 20, 24, he said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. There's Jesus Christ telling us to judge. So just another one of those. And look, you, you could probably come out with a hundred of these, couldn't you? And they were just ones that I thought of. And look, but... It, but don't we see that everywhere, don't we? Just people just taking verses, taking something. Like, don't you just hate it when you get people that don't even claim to be Christians trying to do it? Oh, didn't Jesus say? And then, like, like for example, that one they love, judge not. It's like, you've got no idea. <laughs> but maybe it's even worse when Christians do it. Um, verse 24, back to where we were, John 21. This is a disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Talk about himself here, John. And there were also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And Jesus must have done a lot of things. Eh? I was thinking about this as well. You know, he wasn't having me time, was he, Jesus? He had time with the Father. But he wasn't having just, you know, well, I just need, need a bit of time to myself. In fact, he was working on the Sabbath as well. You know, he said, he, you know, his father worked hither too, and I work. Yeah, and he was... He had a work, wasn't he? He grafted, Jesus did, for, for the whole of his ministry. And look, he wasn't sightseeing. He wasn't getting on with some hobbies or anything else. He was in full-time ministry, wasn't he? But think about this as well. Full-time ministry, and a lot of people in full-time ministry, part of that time is spent writing sermons a lot of the time, studying the Bible to write sermons. But Jesus Christ didn't need to study the Bible. And Jesus Christ... I'm sure he didn't write any of his sermons. Jesus Christ just preached, didn't he? So that was three and a half years of preaching, of which we've got just a snippet, haven't we, in here? 
think three and a half years, barring when he was asleep, and the rest of the time, miracles, preaching, just, just so much stuff he must have done, of which we just have this small amount, that, that's the amount that God wants to give us, the amount that he wants us to know, the amount that we obviously need to be able to preach and get people saved, and the amount that we need to be able to grow as Christians and to be able to live how God wants us to live and the amount that we need in this Bible to be able to just be nourished by the word of God and to have it as a you know lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And, and, but Jesus must have done a lot in those three and a half years. See what you could do in three and a half years of just full time and, and especially when you're the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, he did say, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's an actual literal thing that the world could not contain the books. But... He obviously did a lot, didn't he? He did a lot and, look, you know, we're here for longer though. We're here for longer and we can get a lot done. He said greater works that we're able to do, didn't he, in terms of more and more soul winning and because they're the, they're the ultimate works. We can do stuff if we want to serve him, like I said this morning. But, yeah, what, what, a, yeah, what a great gospel. What a great, um, great chapter to end on as well. And just more and more truths coming out of there. And, and so, you know, so, so much truth comes out of the word of God. And, you know, if you're sitting here and, and I don't know, you sit here and thinking, well, yeah, yeah there's, there's some good stuff in there. But I don't know, is that really, is that really the word of God? Look, you, no one can write that. No one can write. And no one can write that and have it marry up how it does and how you can just cross, you can just study that compared with other books. So look. For those idiots that go, well, it's fairy tales or it's, it's you know, oh, someone wrote a book. Look, no, no one person wrote that, okay? There is no doubt at all that there is multiple, multiple, you're looking at 40 authors, 66 books, 40 authors over, over 1,500 plus years in different regions of the world wrote this Bible and, it, and when you study it properly, it, it marries up from start to finish. And, and it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. You could just go through chapter, like you can't go through some worldly literature and go through chapter after chapter and just find so much truth, so much, so many lessons, so much in, in every verse, not that they'll be split into verses, every handful of, of it's impossible. I, I mean, we should, you should try it just for a laugh one day. Just get out like the greatest literature, get out, I don't know, Shakespeare or something like that and try and just dissect it. It's impossible. What are you going to get out of it? A load of fairies dancing around in dresses most of the time, isn't it? Because it is. It's just a load of actors and weirdos. But what are you going to get? You're not going to get anything like... And they try and do it. The world tries to study it. Anyone, try, anyone have to study it when they're at school in English? But it's nothing like it, is it? Nothing like it. They try and study it and try and dissect it. But there is absolutely no comparison. And, and anyone that's e even worldly, unsaved people that try to study the Bible have admitted the same, haven't they? That there is nothing like it, nothing like this King James Bible and how groundbreaking it, it was and still is to this day. And, and look, that's why these Bible studies are so great as well, because you could just go through and just, just, and that's just what I've pulled out. You could get 10 preachers, go through that chapter and pull out 10, 10 different sermons, couldn't they? And, and they will, and they still do to this day. And, and look, there's so much in there. There's so much truth in there. There's so much in the Word of God. And, and aren't we blessed to have the Word of God? And isn't it great to go through it? And, and the Word of God is evidence of itself, isn't it? That it's written by God. It's written by God through men and no one, no one else, let alone 40 different people, could write something like this. Uh, what, what, you know, what a great truth that is. And uh, on that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for the Gospel of John. I thank you... Um, Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for, for just everything that's in the Word of God, just all the different, you know, different styles of, of writing in there in terms of the, from history to the law to, to poetry to, to the Gospels to the Epistles, just all, all, the, all the many different types of books we have in there, how rich they are, how much lessons we can get from there, how much wisdom we can get, how much enjoyment we can get from it, how much knowledge we can get and but ultimately how much we can get from it to apply to our lives. Please help us to do that from this Gospel of John, all the lessons we've learned over the last few months in this, just help us to apply it to our lives, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers too. Um, uh, please help me to, to choose a, a book that's going to be edifying for the church, 
that's gonna gonna glorify you, but also that's gonna help help everyone in here, including myself, to just to just live more for you. Um, and yeah, please help us all this week as well, just to just to you know put you first this week to to put serving you at the forefront of our minds and and to all be able to return back here next week for another day in your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.